Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. This is Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here today with my very special guest, Sarah Lipton Citibay. Sarah, are you with me? Yes, yes, Michael. I managed to find the link. I clicked, I clicked on the wrong one. So I'm glad All I did right, it just in time because it mentioned 21 <laughs> seconds left. <laughs> so it's like, doing the it's like doing sprint. <laughs> I'm just glad that you're here. It's good to hear your voice. Yes, I'm glad that I managed to connect without there being in the, being any problems. This is why I prefer audio to video because I've had video interviews and it just disconnects. It's just hopeless. And then sometimes yeah. the interviewer can't see you because of the light and there are suddenly shadows around you. <laughs> you don't have all this with audio, so it's no, much better. No, no, we don't. We don't. <laughs> Where do you hail from, Sarah? I live in London, in England. In London. Yes. Are you a native? Are you a native? Yes, I was born in this city. It's very polluted, I mean, especially when it gets warmer. Oh, wow. Well, let me ask this question as we begin this journey. Yes. What is poetry? What is poetry? Well, for me, I'll first think of it how, for myself, I think it is a... It is a wonderful literary art form which gives great pleasure to people um, because it can tell you about the world and about situations in a way that's more easily digestible than reading heavy academic books. And also research has shown, which was conducted, that for people who suffer from anxiety and depression, it actually reduces that. Because one of my poems, Wishful Thinking, which is in this collection, was published in Poems in the Waiting Room in 2010. And Poems in the Waiting Room is a charity which actually puts poetry in leaflets and they're distributed to hundreds of doctors' GP surgeries in Britain because it was found that when patients read uplifting poetry before going in to see their GP, it actually made them feel much better. So for me, if poetry and my poetry can actually make promote a sense of well-being, that's part of it for me because I want my work to bring pleasure and happiness to people. It's not just oh, about nice. me doing something I love regarding writing. So to me, you know, literature in general, whether it's novels, short stories or poetry, really does um, bring joy to the world. And as I say in my poem, The Arts, the arts colour the world, you know, Mm -hmm. because otherwise life would be about just working, eating and sleeping. Without the arts, life becomes very dull. And, you know, just reading, opening a book, you know, because it's been proven that fiction, far more than non-fiction, actually lights up the pleasure areas of the brain and promotes a feeling of calm and wellness. And especially if you're reading something humorous, such as a light poem or something in a novel or short story that's funny, well, that's nice. Rather than, it's far better people doing that than taking pills, which can cause terrible side effects, you know, if they're feeling down. Because so much in, you know, from the 20th century... Um, people have just been relying on pills for everything and there are natural ways to, to, to improve happiness and well-being, such as reading, especially reading fiction. Very nice. Well, let me ask this question as well. What was an early experience where you learned that poetic language and prose had power? Where did you learn about this? Well, I think actually probably from reading from when I was a child because I always loved reading books when I was a child. I used to go to Ballam District Library. Ballam is an area of South London 
Noctu is in the same borough I live in because this city's got 32 boroughs and in the borough of Wandsworth there are eight different neighbourhoods and Ballam is one of the neighbourhoods in the borough of Wandsworth. So when I was a child my mother used to take me to Ballam District Library and I used to take up the maximum number of books at the time, poetry, <laughs> short stories and novels and I would read all the time because I just really enjoyed reading and um, unconsciously you're just absorbing everything, how language is structured, syntax, figures of speech, character development, plot, without actually having to write an essay on it or to make notes. You, the brain just absorbs that. So from reading a lot from childhood, it actually made me very good at English. It was my top subject at school, and I was above mm. average because I used to get top marks for spelling, grammar, and uh, my, my ability to write was spotted from the age of um, about 11 when I start, started secondary school. It's probably the equivalent of in America to uh, junior high, uh, because yes. in England people go to secondary school, they're there from 11 to 16. There's no high school equivalent as you have in the States. At 16, pupils then leave and go to an FE college to train in a vacation, or they do an apprenticeship or they go to a sixth-form college to do A-levels, in all, which is the entrance exam for university. So from secondary school, when I was um, 11, my ability to write was spotted because I remember I wrote a long poem called The Nightmare, which my English teacher, Miss Sellers, put on the wall because she thought it was so good. So I realised the power of language because, you know, when you open a book, whether it's poetry, a novel, or short stories, you're escaping into a different world. And it's just great, because I grew up without having brothers and sisters. And so okay. it was just, so books were an additional friend for me, because I had lots of friends at school, but outside the school at home, I didn't have siblings. So just getting lost in um, literature, it was, it opened up a different world for me, and it was just wonderful. Well, please share a poem. Yes, I will. I'll begin, I think, with Wishful Thinking, which is the one that was printed in Poems in the Waiting Room, which is a very uplifting poem, which actually I regard as one of my feel-good poems that makes people just feel better in themselves. Um, it's, it's about my love of travel and places that I would like to visit. You know, most of the places in the poem I haven't actually visited. So it's something that I hope to be able to do. I, I put on my bucket list, I think, half of most all these places in the poem. So I'll read it now. Wishful thinking. I'd like to visit the pyramids of Egypt. I'd like to go to Niagara Falls. I'd like to sip champagne in a gondola. And I'd like to visit the Wailing Falls. I'd like to visit the Grand Canyon. I'd like to visit Athens and Rome. I'd like to see all the shows on Broadway and visit the Millennium Dome. I'd like to gamble in Monte Carlo, shop at the Salons of Milan, go on a round-the-world cruise and to Paris to see the Can-Can. I'd like to ride on the Orient Express, see the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, ride a horse by the Swiss Alps and visit the city of Bonn. I'd like to cycle by the Rockies, water ski in the south of France, swim in the Atlantic and Pacific, then in a cafe in Brazil, do Latin dance. I'd like to go walking in Austria, visit New England in the fall, go on safari to Kenya and dance at the Ritz at a ball. Instead, I'm stuck in a small flat. The rain beats on the window pane. My mind wanders off again. And I imagine myself on a beach in Spain. That was beautiful. A beautiful, beautiful poem. Thank you very much. And it's and in this collection, there's a contrast regarding the poetry. Some of them are heavy, serious poems, and some are more light, which that one is, because, as I said, it's an uplifting one that was published in Poems of the Waiting Room, which makes people, this type of poem would make people feel far better when they're sitting waiting to see the GP, and that's why it was printed in Poems in the Waiting Room. And I feel honoured well, because a lot of the poems in that are dead poets, people such as Alfred Lord Tennyson and yeah, Christina yeah. Rossetti. So I felt very honoured that one of my well, poems was put there with them. Well, congratulations. That was my next question. 
what are some of the predominant themes of your work? When you think about your body of well, work, what are some yes. of the things? Well, I have a whole section called The World We Live In, which is a, addresses um, inequality and um, poverty, social issue poems. They're my societal issue poems. And there's a section, um, love and relationships. Most of the poems in that section are about dysfunctional relationships. The only positive relationship is a woman's friend, best friend. It's called a woman's best friend who is her dog which is her dog, because you don't get any problems okay. with an animal, as you can sometimes with friendships that can bust up, yes. or, in a or if you're in a relationship with someone, whereas a dog is always very loyal if you treat the dog well. Then I have a section, mm -hmm. the seasons, nature, and the environment, and wishful thinking comes under that category, because these poems, I have one called Mad Weather, which is about climate change, which is very much what we're experiencing today. In, in today's world. And then I have these lovely, what I call visual art poems. I'm no good at drawing pictures, but I use words to depict scenes. I have poems such as the sunset and dawn. And then there's poems about the environment, wishful thinking, as you heard about a wish to escape to different places. And I have one called Far Away, about how the person in the, poet, in the poem manages to escape from the grime and pollution of the city to actually live by the sea and the person no longer is in a nine-to-five routine. And then there's one called Degeneration, which is about um, the, um, uh, about the um, degeneration of the city, about urban decline. And then I have poems on the body, um, and some of the poems deal with the aging body, such as drooping melons and varicose veins, and others are about how the body changes, such as during pregnancy, and then one about yes. how the body becomes emaciated through starvation. I have a poem called Anorexic, which addresses that. And then the last section is called The Past, and these poems are about the legacy of the British Empire. I have one called Legacy of Empire, and then I have my decade poems, one about the the, the 1920s, and then the 1960s, the 1970s, and then um, the 1980s, and that one is called Thank You, Mrs. Thatcher, it's about Britain, what Britain was like during the, the, the premiership of Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher. And then the collection, that section begins with colonialism, followed by slavery, about how Britain set up colonies abroad and, and, and oppressed and exploited other countries and people. And then it then focuses on slavery, and particularly about slavery in one of the 13 colonies, Virginia which, as you know, the, the English went and set up tobacco plantations from 1619. So it's a wide wow. variety, because I've been writing poems since I was 17. And so yes. I've got so many, I can just categorize them under, these dif under different headings. Well, let me ask this question. What inspired you to write First Collection? I would say some from my personal experience, some about the fact that I really do hate see. I really do hate um, there being poverty and inequality in the world, and yes. the fact that people are unable to get ahead because they're not from the right background. It very much applies to England because England is very much a country that is not in the 21st century. People are able to have wealth owing to the fact they acquire it through trans through transgenerational wealth, or or that or, or because of connections. So a lot of people go to these top public schools in England and then Oxford or Cambridge universities. It's through luck of birth because they're born into wealth and they retain wealth. And there are lots of people in this country who've worked very hard, who've gone to university, but not the elite universities of Oxford and Cambridge. And they don't get ahead because a social mobility report that was brought out a few years ago actually stated that... Britain has got the lowest level of social mobility than than all than than all countries um, than out of that than out of all the rich countries. It's absolutely appealing. So um, it's, uh, it, it, this prevents people from being able to progress, even though they make the effort. So I, I feel passionately about this injustice going on, and um, so the poems in the section "The World We Live In." Um, address some of those issues, such as I have one called oppression, about how 
many people in Britain have got little money, so they can't even go on a week's holiday. Um, you know, they're, they're struggling to pay their bills, such as the electricity and the gas. And it's very much the case for a lot of people, especially now uh, during and after this pandemic. And then I have my body poems because of the fact that, you know, there's been so much promotion of being so thin. And, you know, some people are naturally bigger than others, not because they overeat and don't exercise. Scientists actually have discovered there is a thin and a fat gene. So that's why you get some Mm. people who can eat a lot and they don't put on any weight. And and I've come across them even, and they don't even do that much exercise. And other people who actually are careful with what they eat, but they just naturally put on weight more. So, and I think it's making it worse with Instagram and all this social media and then promoting these Hollywood celebrities all the time, going on about how they've put on weight, fat shaming them. I think it's appalling doing that to people. So I wrote these poems because it, it's causing the emergence and, uh, and the perpetuation of eating disorders such as anorexia. And one of the poems in that section is about that. And I feel I have a great interest in history. And yes. I don't like the fact that England set up colonies and exploited a lot of um, people and different countries. So that's why I wrote um, poems to do with the past. And I very much am interested in various decades as well. So that's why I've written these decade poems of the 20th century. Wow, very nice, very nice. Do you view yourself as being an activist, a poetic activist? Well, I would say that, yes, through my my poetry, because when people read some of them, when they read the political ones, such as Thank You, Mrs. Thatcher, or the 1960s, or colonialism, now realize that, from that poem, Colonialism, I was very much opposed to uh, England's expansion overseas. I say England rather than Britain because Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland were just, you, you know, you know, it was England. It was always the nation of England that dominated yes. everything, you know. Yes. So I say England rather than Britain, which would include the whole of the United Kingdom, because those countries, because I begin in the poem regarding the fact how England colonised to begin with, Scotland, Wales, and Scotland and Wales before going overseas. Northern Ireland, of course, didn't become a separate uh, uh, area till I think 1921. But England, in medieval times, had lots of battles with Scotland and Wales and oppressed people there, and then went overseas from the uh, from the 16th century, from the time of Elizabeth I. Please share another poem. You're a very fascinating, right. fascinating person. Yes. Share another poem. Yes, I'll read one of the political ones now, as a contrast to mad, uh, as a contrast to the light one of wishful thinking. Um, it's called "Thank You, Mrs. Thatcher." Thank you, Mrs. Thatcher. You came to reign after the winter of discontent, and the seeds of despair were turning to boom years. But along with the honeymoon, there there was gloom. Yuppies talking on mobile phones, making millions at the city, but nearby stood derelict estates. And although tenants had the right to buy, many couldn't afford to own their home. And those on the council waiting list increased while you decreased grants for the building of property. You abolished the GLC and ILEA, increased fares on the tube, the miners went on strike and there were industrial disputes. The Falklands War, just after the explosion on the streets in Brixton, Tox's death and Moss side, because many couldn't abide police brutality. Unemployment soared and so did crime and many rebelled against the poll tax at Trafalgar Square. But you didn't care that you caused despair. Thank you, Mrs. Thatcher, for being Prime Minister for just over a decade. You may be a Baroness, but we'll remember you best as the Iron Lady. Mm. You know, your poetry is very passionate. Do you think that someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Um, well, I, I feel actually most poets do feel strong emotions and I mean I think that 
that spans the, the, the centuries. I mean, you had the Romantic poets who actually were opposed to, they wanted to break with the classical, uh, uh, they wanted to break with the, with the classical tradition of the 18th century, you know, having classical allusions in poetry and heroic couplets. It broke away, you know, totally from that style. And they were interested in nature and, you know, folklore. Um, and also they were opposed to slavery as well. Um, and I think it was... Um, uh, who, one or two of them wrote about their opposition to slavery, too. Mm-hmm. And then you had um, Bob Dylan, who who won the um, Nobel Prize for Literature. Nobel Peace Prize. He, 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 he was, um, yeah, he, 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 he was very political, his poetry, you know, I suppose, uh, you know, in what he said. And the beat poets were, and then Linton Quasi Johnson, who writes in Jamaican Patois, he's had his poetry put to music too. He write, he's written about political issues, about um, Britain under Thatcher, and about police brutality, things like that. Um, so, and then you had Hannah Moore. She was an 18th century female poet. She was part of the Clapham sect which William Wilberforce was part of, and they were opposed to slavery, and she wrote about um, her opposition to slavery in some of her poetry as well. So there have been a lot of poets over the centuries who've protested about injustice of of the time they lived in. You know, when we think about a poem, what are some of the prevalent ingredients that go into this concoction that we call a poem? What goes into making up a poem? Well, I think to myself, the most important thing has to be the content. Yes, content is important for a short story and a novel, but you have to have interesting content in order to be able to grip the reader. Because as you know, poetry, unlike a short story novel, there isn't plot and character. So you have to work, I feel, twice as hard with poetry. And also, because language is very condensed in poetry, unlike a novel or short story, you've got to be very particular regarding which word you choose. Because one word can actually mean so much, whereas, of course, in a short story or novel, you've got time to express your ideas more. And also, what's important with poetry um, is how it's presented. It's presented very differently, of course, to short stories and novels. It's not presented as prose. It's written in stanzas. And, of course, there's rhythm that's important, rhyme. And for people who aren't amateurs, they know you don't just have to have end rhyme. You can have leonine rhyme. You can have eye rhyme. You know, there are various forms of rhyme you can employ. Plus, also, figures of speech. It's very important, use of figures of speech and use of imagery as well to really, really bring out the poem. And to ena- and that also enables to re- the reader to actually have a picture in their mind as well if you use imagery effectively. So I think those are the ingredients. Very important. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Please share one more poem before we take a quick break. Yes. Um... I will I will now read one of my decade poems. It's called The 1970s. Platform shoes, long hair and flares, tank tops, maxi skirts and bright shirts, Slade, Swede and T-Rex top the charts, as well as the Carpenter's Mud and Gary Glitter. People didn't seem to have a care. But then there was a three-day week. Britain joined the EEC. Some felt this shouldn't be the path that the country followed. Decimalisation changed the currency. Heath clashed with the miners and they went on strike. Bombs were exploding in Northern Ireland. And the USA was still in Vietnam, wanting her to become like Uncle Sam. Nixon was disgraced by Watergate was replaced by Gerald Ford, and the Cold War was abated by detente. 
Love Story was on at the cinema. New faces made unknowns into stars, and Shaft was a TV hero. Muhammad Ali won many fights, and he talked on Parkinson about the nation of Islam. At the Munich Olympics, some Israelis were shot dead, but the games continued nevertheless, although the Israeli tragedy was publicized greatly by television news and the press. Arthur Ashe was the first black player to win Wimbledon in 1975. Borg dominated the game in the mid and late 70s, while Olga was the prodigy of gymnastics. Her performance was filled with so much drive. The beetle was in vogue, and so was the chocolate bike. And then there was a craze for the skateboard, which some parents couldn't afford to buy their children. Punk blasted like a rocket onto the scene. Spiked hair and piercing became the fashion. And punks appeared on TV who didn't sing but screamed. Some felt that they were really obscene. There was the silver jubilee when many held street parties. But this time of glee was ended by the winter of discontent, and Thatcher and the decade of greed was on the horizon. Striking. Your poem brings back so many memories. I can really yes. visualize what you were saying. A lot of memories come back with your poem. That How many decades have, have you written about so far? Sorry, how many decade poems? Yes, how many, yes, yes. How many decade poems? Actually, I've written The Glorious Twenties about the 1920s, uh, the 1960s, the 1970s, and thank you, thank you, Mrs. Thatcher, about the 80s, the 1980s. So, so four decade poems I've written. Oh, very nice. And I have written the 19, another one on the 1980s, which wasn't put in this collection because the editor said um, I had to actually not have all the poems included that I've written because it was initially going to be, it was initially 154 pages, but she said it was too long for a, a volume of poetry. So I had to leave some out. Um, but I've got enough for two more collections. But um, I was thinking of writing a decade poem about the 50s, but I would have to research that. Um, oh, very nice. Very nice. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. All right. Yes. Because I'm, I, I act as well, 
so you know I know how to bring my work to life. Um, well, and, but, and you do yeah. because again, that's a question for you. What is the difference between your speaking voice and your written voice? Because again, when you share your work, you do bring it to life. Yes, I mean, well, because I, I actually know some people. They they said to me they like listening to poetry rather than reading it because they like to hear the author's voice, and especially if you're an author who knows how to bring it to life then it just lifts it off the page. Uh, because you get some people, they just don't want to read first, because unlike an awful short story, there isn't plot and character, you see. But if you if they listen to it, then it's a different matter. So, um, um, yes, so, well, that explains the power of, of reading aloud, because Dickens, you know, he did... He gave readings to the states, I think, in the mid-19th century to, to read from his novels, which was a great, you know, it, it was always full when he gave readings. Mm-hmm. Well, please share another poem. Yes. Um, so I, I read, so that was one of the decades poems. Um, let's see. Um, I will read, um, I think, Far Away, one of the ones um, about the environment. Because it's very much about how people, a lot of people actually leave London every year to actually be in a different environment and and to be out of a, a rushed existence. Far Away. I look at my watch, it says five. The sun still shimmers on the sea. I sit at ease on the golden beach. The breeze blows around my face. I am glad to be alive and here instead of glued in the grey, waiting for a bus, tube or train to take me through the polluted city to live another boring day. I sip a glass of orange juice and watch people swimming in the sea, then lie back on my towel, breathing slowly and deeply, inhaling the clean air. How could I have lived in a city? Grit blew from the cracked paving stones, cars expel fumes into the air. But now I have so much energy as I am surrounded by beauty, instead of derelict warehouses. I am free to go for long walks or to cycle or read all day instead of being squashed in a train, rushing to work for nine, not returning home until eight. Now I have flown far and free to the lands of mountains, sand and sea. You know, some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it while others mm. edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? I myself revise some of them. I don't completely change totally. Uh, because what I find is when I write, I then go back to look after a week, because that time lapse enables me to look at my work differently. And it's uh, when there's that gap, then I can go back to make changes, but I can't make changes immediately, but I certainly don't change the whole thing, never. You know, as you think about writing the first collection, what did you learn about yourself from writing the book? Well, it's it's very, very obvious to me that I feel very strongly about inequality and injustice in the world because I think I'll read the oppression poem next because that is one which really does express inequality and poverty because I have a lot of societal issue poems only some of them could be incorporated into this volume of poetry but as I said um, you know the editor said I had to cut down what what could be included um, and I feel, yes, yeah, strongly about the environment, but I hate pollution. And the pollution in London is so bad 
thousands of people are dying each year from it. And a little girl uh, has 30 asthma attacks because the pollution mm. was so bad. She lived and it actually went to the, um, to the high court and her mother managed to uh, get a law passed after struggling for years that pollution is dangerous. So I feel very much, I feel very strongly too that the pollution in London and in England, it really needs to be reduced. So I feel passionately about the environment and also about the body that, you know, certain body types shouldn't be promoted as being the ideal because then people will starve themselves or they take pills to try to have that body type. Please read your oppression poem. Yes, I will. This one, very much. People can relate to this who, who, who are just living below the breadline, as a lot of people are in Britain, especially um, since COVID-19 struck. Yes. Oppression. The leech is sucking wealth away, and there's the electricity to pay. I have to sacrifice a holiday. The leech is sucking wealth away. I've been without food since yesterday. I am feeling more and more ill. All the money went on the gas bill. The leech is sucking wealth away. I wanted to buy new shoes today, but the rent is close to due and my pay has yet to come through. The leech is sucking wealth away. I had to take out a loan just to pay the bills on the phone. No holiday, no food, no shoes, just hell. My home now resembling a prison cell. The leech has sucked wealth away, and poverty seems here to stay. So powerful. I commend you for being interested in social issues. I really do. What do you see as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? I think to make people aware of things such as poverty, because poverty in England, in Britain, is appalling. I mean, I think to the rest of the world, they show the royal family, and I think a lot of people abroad have a romantic image of England, that people live in lovely thatched cottages, and they play cricket on a Sunday and drink what John Major said, warm beer. It's very unique. There are villages like that in England, but... You've got the city where there's a great deal of poverty and where people are struggling to exist and so many people who are going to food banks and these aren't people who, who are homeless because of the pandemic. People who are working are having to go to food banks as well. It's that bad. Children have been going to school hungry and the footballer had to make Boris Johnson aware of this and he launched a campaign on Twitter even because it's been so bad. So... Um, you know, it is, it is terrible. So I think the poet's role is to make people aware of these things and, um, you know, to try to, to, to bring about change. And it's done in a way where, you know, people don't have to read heavy academic books to, to know yeah. about this role. Because some people don't like academic books, uh, you know, especially if they were off study at school, but through literature, you can make people aware. That's through songs as well. But in a different way, in a way that's um, enjoyable for people and whereby it will reach, you know, a broader, a broader audience than academic books. Share another poem. Yes. After that heavy and sad poem, I will... Um, I think, yes, I will read one of the lighter ones. This is a poem that women can relate to who've got very large bosoms. All right. Because there are so many women who get their bosoms large because they feel they're too small, but there are women who are naturally very big and very deeply whereby they want to have surgery to reduce them. And there are Disadvantages to having a very large basket to express in this poem is called Drooping Melons. They are <laughs> as soft as marshmallows, as white as the sun, and as big as my head. 
They pull to my belly button. They almost break my shoulders because they are huge boulders. The cups of my bra are the size of dinner plates. That's if I can get one to fit, which is rarely the case. Strapless bras don't me at all, so I can't wear tops off the shoulders or low-back dresses or jumpers because my breasts would fall. I can't wear fitted blouses because the buttons would pop off. I can't go swimming because few costumes have cups. If I jump in the air, they will crash down like rocks. If I have an operation, my problems will be solved. My breasts will change from sagging balloons to firm pretty feet. I will be able to wear whatever I want. My shoulders will be pushed back and proud. And when I look in the mirror, I will be too. Does knowing that your poems are published and out there in the world validate your being a poet, or are you content knowing they're out of your system? No, I mean, I love the fact that people will can uh, read my work. And um, uh, for me, it's not a, a, a chore to actually write poetry um, and, to, and to think, oh, thank goodness, that's finished. It's something that um, I, I've always enjoyed doing. I'm just glad now I can share this with people because, you know, it's all the time to get published because big publishers don't publish poetry because they don't think the sales are big enough. So you have to go through small presses. However, a lot of small presses, you don't hear back till about four or five months later. And then because they get so inundated, because they accept unsolicited material, as you know, um, quite a lot of them can only publish about six or seven books a year. So it's very difficult. It's just around the books. Yes, just around the books, which is a British publisher based in London. And it's not a, a publisher that specifically just publishes poetry. The, the publishers publish novels as well as short stories and um, also memoirs as well. I mean, I haven't completed my novel yet because, and as you know, a novel takes far longer to write than poetry. So I happen to have my poetry ready. So that's why I got all the poetry rather than a novel. Now, is your book available on Amazon.com UK? Yes, I mentioned where, it, where people can buy it from. It's available from the Book Depository website because um, that's a good website because shipping is free worldwide. Also, Amazon UK, Waterstones, Foils, and for American listeners, Walmart.com. Oh, Walmart.com. Oh, very nice. Yes, very nice. I did. Because I gave an interview to uh, an American lady who has her own radio show on March the 16th. Um, so um, I think a lot of her listeners are American. So that's why the book's available on Walmart.com too. And there is also an audio book called In Her Own Words which is available from the Audible website. And I actually read all my poems. All the poems can be heard for people who prefer listening to poetry. However, it is an anthology because the other poets published by Jacaranda Books, their poetry collections are on the audio book as well. So, um, so it would be the, the work of four other poets and myself all together. Um, to listen to. However, you can choose, listeners can choose which poems they want to listen to. However, yeah. if people just want to see my poetry, then the first collection they should purchase. But if they want to listen as well, or just listen, then there is the audio book in their own words. Oh, very nice. Very nice. You know, all poets have several words that come up over and over and over again in their work, words that just can't, but you can't help but use. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use? Well, when I write poetry, or to describe my type of poems. Hello? Yes, yeah, say that one more time, please. The words 
Are you referring to yes. the words that I most frequently use in my poetry or words that yes. describe yes. type of poetry? Words that I use in words my poetry. Words that you frequently use in your poetry. I would say to do with shackles. Shackles, because in my poetry I mentioned about a lack of feeling hemmed in, having no freedom. Um, yes. So shackles, um, drowning. That's mentioned in my poem Stagnation, um, Illness, um, Pollution, um, Escape, such as wishful thinking, escaping to yes. different countries, um, Nostalgia, which is very much of, or, relates to the decade poems. Um, inequality. Yes, very nice. Well, if you had to convince a friend or colleague to read your book, what might you tell them? Well, I would say that my poetry is very lyrical because I'm a songwriter as well. So oh, really? I, yes, my, my song I wish was uh, it was awarded a commended certificate in the um, from the. Um, United Writing, but I do believe 
we are all born with gifts such as there are people who love cooking and they become chefs other people uh, naturally good at science so they become doctors or nurses for example i could never train to be a doctor or nurse i don't i'm not good at medicine i never liked biology or chemistry at school i mean i have no aptitude for it although i have a caring nature I would be good around patients, but the science side of it, I'd be hopeless at. So, you know, we are born with different gifts. So, yes, I think I was born to actually write and to act as well, because, as I said, I know how to bring my work to life, and I have a licensed acting diploma as well. Oh, wow, very nice. Please share two poems. Two poems. Yes. All right, I will read... Um, I will read my poem about how people do feel shackled and they feel and sometimes people feel they have obstacles in their life that they can't overcome it's called stagnation i am being swallowed by quicksand i am being suffocated with a plastic bag i am paralyzed from the waist down by a ferocious ocean i'm being drowned I can't reach the top of the hill. I am shackled to an iron pole. I can't break free from the prison cell. I am trapped down a dark, dank well. My feet have been glued to the ground. I keep falling off the galloping horse. I have been buried alive, and I know I won't survive. I need to be able to climb the mountain. Only then will my life begin. Your voice is remarkable. Remarkable. Oh, thank you very I mean, much. Thank you really, really said that. Because really. I used to love recording myself, reciting poetry. Of course, I hadn't given them a collection then, but I would read from the Department Book of Children's, children's Verse and record myself. I loved doing it. That was from when I was about seven. I would do yeah. that. Well, really, you you perform your work. I I believe in the importance of performing your work. I view it as being sharing your lived experience. If you if you've written it, live it. So I I really believe yeah. in it. Please share another poem. I'm I'm, I'm so glad yeah. you're here. Please share another poem. Yes, I will. Um, I think I'll read another of the decade poems because um, I think they're my they're my favorite ones. Is Okay. The, about the glorious twenties. I will. Um, I will read. Because as we know, the glorious twenties. It wasn't great for everyone. They were portrayed, such as in the Great Gatsby by Scott F. Fitzgerald. It is portrayed, you know, that everyone's having parties every night and jumping in swimming pools. Well, that was for the very rich. However, there were people. A lot of poverty. There was a lot of poverty. For example, in England. There was a general strike of 
pubs and musicals where the servants cares. Fear of communism in the USA bans on immigration swelling every day, many white roads holding a burning cross, lynching, looting, mocking the Negroes' loss. Catholicism school, Judaism attack, Al Jolson and others, their faces, vaudeville and Gershwin, people adored, but the public still theaters and were never bored. Valentino and Swanson, the gods of the day, had so many pains, which they threw away. Blackers, giggling, wiggling and puffing away in a world where justice reigned every day. Al Capone, Versailles, Weimar, and mostly. Hatred and greed was a ferocious scene. The wave of Nazism was roaring to the shore. People were becoming greedier for more. Discontent was rising as want was thriving. Some were squandering, others surviving. Suicide was right when the stock market crashed and the glorious 20s lifestyle was dashed. Where does your book, First Collections, fit into your career as a writer? Um, <clears throat> well, it's the first volume of poetry published. That's why I called it the first collection. Okay. I have two other collections that haven't been published yet. And also I've written three collections of short stories. One collection of short stories was published in 2017, but it was in a very, published by a very small publishing company run by just two people, and it no longer exists. They told me they couldn't compete with big publishers. So I'm waiting to hear from the publishers to have those stories republished, and they're a collection of dark fantasy tales. Um, some of them are like the Twilight Zone, you know, that type of, that, that type of um, plot. Yes. Um, I've begun a novel which is set in London in the 1970s about the lives of tenants who live in a house divided into bedsits. Um, so, um, for the poetry, yes, it's the first volume published, and I intend to get the other two volumes published within the next two years. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So, as we close, what piece of advice would you give to your readers? I would tell them to really enjoy poetry and don't see it as heavy and quite boring because the problem is people, some people will put off at the school because in England, the studying of poetry is part of the, the GCSE English Literature exam, which people take at the age of 16. So they have to analyse poetry, write essays on it. They never get to see poets perform their work. So people can be put off at that age. So remember that poetry is an art form as dance or acting is. Uh, because poetry has never been given that status as being an art form like that. And also read what really appeals to you. Don't read what people say is good poetry. Just choose what you like. Then you'll always enjoy poetry and read it throughout your life. And if you want to write it, just sit down and write about things you feel very strongly about. That's the most important. And then with the technical aspect, you can always improve on the technical aspect after you've written the actual poem. But put it down first on paper. Oh, very That's much. That's what I would I'd like to thank you for being my guest today. You really, I've learned so much. I've learned so much about British oh, history. I've learned so much about so many different topics. You're an incredible person. Fascinating. Just, just truly fascinating. And I wish you nothing but the best. 
Thanks so much, Michael. I'm going to say again where people can purchase the book. From the Book Depository website, Amazon UK, Waterstone Spoils and Walmart.com. That's the book. And then for those who like to listen to poetry, there's In Her Own Words, which is available from Audible. And that's an anthology, so it has all my poems on there, as well as four other poets published by Jack around the books. And I actually read all my poems on that CD. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank our listening audience. And as I share every week, that poetry ring. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you again. Thank you very much, Michael, for having me on. Bye. Bye. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.